You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that doesn't just speak to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have carried that heart and ministered in that context. And so if you're a pastor or a leader or a Sunday school teacher or volunteer who's tuning into the podcast today, we just want to bring you content that encourages you, that informs you, and that is just right there with doing God's work in small, out-of-the-way places. I'm your host, Joe Epley, and today we have the privilege to interview a friend of mine and someone whose uh, kind of journey in ministry I've had the privilege to follow and see. And uh, it's it's missionary Nate Lashway. His current assignment is as a team lead in the country of Burundi in Africa. And uh, I'm excited to hear his whole story, though, because he's just uh, been so many places, done so many awesome things. And their African context is obviously we don't want to draw the similarities too close, but there is a ton of overlap uh, with the rural church and how these principles function. And I've always loved that kind of um that kind of back and forth learning where we look at different principles from different places and speak to where we're at. And so we're going to dive into that discussion today. Um, but first, I do want to say, uh, Nate, how are you doing, sir? It's great to be here. I'm doing really good. Good. Well, um, obviously, one of the first things we like to do is just familiarize people with who we're talking to. And so maybe you can take a few minutes here and kind of give us that flyover version of, of your story, you know, your background in ministry, where you've been, what you've done, and how that kind of connects to the rural church. Yeah, you bet. So I graduated from Northwest uh, University in Seattle, Washington, uh, back in the late 80s, and got on staff at a big church as a children's pastor uh, downtown Seattle for a number of years. And uh, my wife was a school teacher in a nearby uh, community. Uh, we were there, double income, no kids, and uh, really felt like had a great experience, but really were looking for something different. And my wife was from Deer Lodge, Montana, and they had an opening to uh, come and serve as the associate pastor there in Deer Lodge. So uh, we packed up and left the big city and moved to a town of 3,000. And uh, it was my first time to ever like live in a, in a town like that. I was a suburban kid most of my life. And sure. um, uh, we moved to a moved to Deer Lodge, and we were in Deer Lodge for four years and had a great ministry there, then moved to Helena, Montana, and served there for five years as the uh, family ministries pastor there in Helena. And also at that whole time, I was the district kids camp director. So directed kids camps for Montana and all that and traveled all over the place doing that and, and helping raise up children's ministries around Montana in that area, in that context. Uh, and then in 2000, I took a missions trip to Tanzania and just uh, was overwhelmed by the, the need. And just the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, you know, this, the toolkit you have, the skills you have, there's entire countries that don't have those skills that people need what you have. And, you know, I really was really wrecked. I came home and talked to Tammy about it and we really prayed and she'd had a call to missions as a, as a teenager from camp, you know, um, we, but we were two kids and, or two, uh, we had two kids at the time and you don't just leave on the whim. It's either the Holy Spirit sure, or bad sure. pizza, you know, we yeah, want to make yeah, sure it wasn't you know, bad yeah. pizza. And <laughs> so we kind of asked the Lord to really speak clearly to us. And he really did really speak really clearly over a couple of weeks. And so we ended up going to, uh, French language school for a year and became the first children's missionaries to Madagascar. We went to oh, wow. Madagascar and were in Madagascar for 12 years, serving in different capacities, starting out 
uh, in uh, children's ministries, and then we became the team leaders there, uh, ran Bible schools, and did church planting all over the country. Uh, and so uh, that was a great experience. So then uh, in 2015, they asked us to shift over to Tanzania, and we became the team leader overseers for the Swahili-speaking zone of East Africa. So I lived in Tanzania and oversaw several other countries, helping lead missionaries and engagement in those churches there. And about two and a half years ago, we shifted from Tanzania, which had a strong, strong church, to Burundi. And uh, we've been here in Burundi, and we've been raising up and kind of uh, training new missionaries to serve effectively in difficult places. So we've been in, in Burundi now for two years and uh, leading a bunch of new missionaries and how to engage effectively here. And uh, we're working here now pretty much Burundi in Rwanda and Uganda is where I spend most of my time. But we live here in Burundi now. So a little bit about us. Yeah. And um, why don't you give us a bit of the landscape? Because obviously stuff what we're going to talk about today uh, is is relating to a lot of those small contexts, a lot of rural contexts. And I don't want to assume anything about the various African contexts where you work. So give us a lay of the land. You know, what, what type of communities are you in? And, and yeah. you know, would you describe it as, as rural, you know? Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, so Burundi is the poorest country on the planet for the past five years. Their, wow. G, their gross domestic product is like is really bad. Um, and so it's 85 percent subsistence farming here. So most everybody that you run into, besides those who are living in this city here where we live in Bujibura, most of them are running small little farms, growing tea, growing corn, growing, you know, sorghum, growing, you know, different, different, you know, beans, whatever. It's very, very, they're very, very close to the land. Um, living in, and surviving on their own plots. They're raising a few cattle, a few sheep, a few goats, but it's very, very subsistence farming. Um, about 10% of the country is on the electricity grid. So most wow. people are living their life without power in their house. As I said, it's a poor country. So right now we have a huge problem with like having gasoline. So there's a very little gasoline in the country. So cars line up for miles sometimes to get their fuel. Uh, we haven't had much uh, soda, Coca-Cola, blue or not, we can't hardly find it here because there's no ingredients to make Coca-Cola here. Uh, sugar is really hard to find sometimes. So a lot of stuff is not easy to track down here. And so, uh, but it's very, very rural. I was just up country this week, driving around in some places on the dirt roads in the back country. And uh, we were just with a lot of wonderful, wonderful people, but a lot of them, you know, they're wearing the clothes on their back and that's what they have, you know. And so it's uh, very different from the United States for sure. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and so one of the things I want to examine first as we kind of dive into this conversation is obviously there's a lot of crossover. You know, I, I love the description of the rural church as a cross-cultural experience. Now, obviously, to varying degrees, depending on language and context and culture. But uh, as someone who grew up in a larger place and then moves to a town of uh, 1,200 in my own ministry, I did experience that sense of culture shock. And so one of the things I want to dive into first is um, maybe some of the principles that you emphasize when training missionaries and leaders when they're going to live and serve in these in these rural places. You know, I know that that when we uh, when we got to talk and you got to show me some stuff, you were thinking I really enjoyed uh, kind of these conversations about cross cultural observations or about uh, kind of being a learner or even loving where you live. So why don't you just dive into some of those topics and and give us a, sure. a picture of how we how we engage these contexts successfully and how you're training missionaries to do the same. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great comment. And um, really, we really do want people to fall in love with where they live. And so when people come out for the very first time, uh, I could say 20 years ago when I started this journey as a missionary, uh, the missionaries I were with, they encouraged us to fall in love with where we lived and to love where we lived and embrace where we were. 
And so we encourage people to find stuff that they like to do. And, and, you know, Burundi, we don't have any game parks, you know, we don't have any like big, you know, there's no giraffes and elephants to go look at things like that, you know, like in other African countries. So we're pretty much just here, but there are some great restaurants. There's some great coffee shops. Um, My wife and I love to take walks. And so we, we love to get away. We're not big city people. So even though we're living in Bujumbura, which is the capital, within a 25-minute drive, we can be up in the hill country, up in the mountains, in these little villages. So probably about twice a month, we drive up into the mountains and just park our our land cruiser and just walk around these villages and greet the people and just in, embrace the, the rural friendliness that's up in the countryside up there. And that brings a lot of joy to us. And so we just kind of tell people, Find stuff you like to do. If you like to go camping, then go camping. If you like to go fishing or hiking or exploring, there's lots of roads to explore. So we just kind of get people to, you know, find what they like to do and embrace where they are. And, you know, and so uh, everyone's different that way. But that's something that's really important that you do find some things that you do like about where you are and uh, and embrace that. Um, and I think you talked a little bit about posturing yourself as a learner. Uh, I've got to tell you, one of my things, I think about rural ministry, I remember my first year in Deer Lodge, I was doing the Christmas program with all these kids and I said something and I said something about feeding the cows straw and all the farmers were so upset with me. And some old guy came up to me afterwards and he just said, young man, he said, you know, straw is for sleeping on. You feed cows. Hey, cows eat hay. They don't eat straw. You must be a city kid, you know? And I remembered that, you know, and I thought, well, and it was, he said it kind of nicely, but it's just really true. We need to posture ourselves as learners. If we don't come from a rural context or if I'm not, I'm not from Burundi. So I need to posture myself as a, as a learner. And it's super easy to come in and say, you know, back in America, we don't have so many potholes in the road. Back in America, we can get fuel whenever we want. Back in America, well, you're not in America anymore. You're in this country, whatever context you're in, you're in that context. And so, I think it's super important that we that we become learners and ask good questions. And so, you know, even in this situation, I come into as an American, I have a lot more money than they do, a lot more education than they do, sure. but they know stuff I don't know. And mm. so when I posture myself as a learner and I say, hey, tell me, why do you guys build things like this? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. As you, as you posture yourself as a learner, it helps you become more and more of a cultural insider. And I know in rural ministry, man, it takes years and years and years for you to become an insider as, you know, you weren't born there, but you can, you can get that, you can get closer as you ask questions and, and come across, you know, humbly and be inquisitive and find stuff out. And one of the missionary mentors we had back in the day, he said, you know, everybody has a reason for why they do what they do mm. and finding out why that is in whatever rural context you're in, whatever context you're living in. Find out why people do what they do, and it helps you to understand more and take off your big city lenses or your or your you know suburbanite glasses and put on those rural glasses and see a little bit clearer what life is like, why people do what they do. And so I think that kind of plays into the whole cross-cultural observation skills. Just really, I guess I tell my, my, my missionaries that are serving here, I just tell them to stay curious and, and mm-hmm. ask people. When I go on a road trip, I just like say, how come they how come they have some of those haystacks are in stacks? How come some of them are in round bales? You know, stuff. I'm talking about Montana. Yeah. You find different ways that that farmers or ranchers are putting up their hay or whatever, and you just ask questions like that. And the same thing is true. How come you know these Burundians are building with bricks? These ones are building with wood. Why is that? And let some of the local people kind of be your cultural interpreters, your cultural guides to help you get more insight. So those are a few things that really work well for us, and I try to instill in our people. 
Yeah, and honestly, uh, even as you're talking, I see so many parallels to to jump into the rural context. You know, I, I think of, I mean, literally in my own experience, I, I don't think I even did it maliciously, but I, I remember in my first year, you know, going from a town of 150,000, which is still not huge, admittedly, and then, you know, to a town of 1,200, it seemed like for the first six months, I'd say, well, oh, back in this town, back in this town. I didn't even mean to. I just was trying to compare and contrast. And eventually it was my wife. I think we were... Uh, I think we were just dating at the time, but uh, my wife looked at me and just said, "Hey, uh, no one cares that you're from, you know, you're from Billings." <laughs> exactly. You know? and, just, and it just was such. It sounds so dumb, but it was just so eye-opening. Of like, no, like if I'm like, and I, and I, I think the sustainability piece is huge for me too because when we talk about, I love what you said about like, hey, you got to find something fun and enjoyable. You got to you got to just live all facets of life in your new context because. Because I think that's that's what creates sustainability and integration. If I tell a rural pastor who's coming from outside the rural context, yeah, yeah, you live and minister there, but you still drive home every weekend or you still drive somewhere else to do all the fun things in your life, like you're not going to last because because you're not truly committing every part of who you are to the context you're in. So that's some great wisdom, man. I really love that. So let's dive into this because, uh, again, speaking of this wisdom that just kind of that we do get to learn, right? Because um, one of my favorite trends, it's not even really a trend, right? But but it's it's becoming more of a conversation as we look at church growth, is the need for so much reverse mentoring, so much of, of, you know, you've got this long historical narrative of the church, and the global South has always kind of been treated by the Western church as this, you know, we are sending, we are giving, we are teaching. And yet, um, I have loved the books that have come out in the last 10, 12 years that are that are just culminating a long journey of recognizing that the body of Christ is teaching each other things all the time. Everybody's teaching everybody. And so, when it comes to the African rural context, what is something unique that comes out of the African context that you feel like could bless the rural church as a whole? That's a great question, too. And I think um, when I think about the African context and the rural mentality, I think that having a larger vision than just your own community is really, really huge. I think that um, when I think about some of our successful rural African churches and pastors, you know, they're constantly trying to figure out how to train up their believers and then release them. And they're always like looking for the next village. And I mean, some of these people are walking like two, three, four miles, you know, over, over, over the countryside to come to church, you know, on foot in the rain and in the, in the, in the mud and they're coming to church. And so these pastors are like targeting some of these new villages and say, I got like 10 believers from that village. Let's see if we can like train somebody up and like plant a church over there. And I know maybe in our context in, in America, maybe we can't start an actual church, but we can at least start a cell group there or something like sure. that and, and get people growing in that community. And then maybe it could grow into a church, you know, but sure. I think the, I think our pastors in Africa, the, the large majority of them who are successful, they're not satisfied to just grow their own church. They're looking to like grow again and, and plant here and plant there. And I know some, some small rural guys, they're still small. They have like 50, 60 people in their church, but they've planted like six or eight churches in nearby wow. villages, you know, within walking distance, you know, because they're raising somebody up and then they're releasing them. And you're talking about releasing somebody who's like tithing to this church and it's a poverty stricken church. And they're releasing somebody who's like a tithing member to go plant another church. And so that's a real faith walk. The, their, their, for the great commission is so huge that they, they, they have that way. And so they're always looking to the next village rather than looking at themselves. I think mm. that sometimes we can start focusing on what we don't have is our, in ourselves. And then it's just like, woe is me. I, we don't have much. 
But you do have people, and people are a resource, and people can do stuff. And so I think that these pastors in Africa, the successful ones, are using their people as a resource and empowering them, training them, and then releasing them. So, yeah, and honestly, again, uh, what great parallels? Because how many, how many of our small towns? I mean, there's a few where maybe you are really the end of the road, but a lot of these small towns are a hub of their county, and there's three or four communities around them, and and we have the luxury of good roads and cars, and like we can. We can go to these places and, and invest in them. And um, I mean, I think of a town 40 miles north of uh, where I lived in Baker. Um, it's it's Weibo, Montana, and they're a town of like 400, predominantly agricultural, and they are just struggling finding pastors and getting churches going. And and I think even some of our surrounding ministers have started to say, hey, what, what could we do there? And so I, I love that that's not just something that we kind of have to prod and poke, that it's really something that... that in an African context, those who are really going after it, that's just part of the DNA. And I, what an encouragement, you know, for us as, as pastors and planners. So let's look at this. And I loved, you know, you, you, this next question, you'd given me four or five different things and I liked all of them. And so I just want to walk through this because, because I really love, um, like one of the things I want to do is connect American rural churches to the heart for missions, right? This is the great commission. You know, you and I have the um, the luxury of being part of the Assemblies of God and the Assemblies of God, you know, from its founding has always stood on that principle of we are here to send and support missionaries into the world. And so um, how can American rural churches kind of express their heart for missions, even in a context that feels like it has its own resourcing issues? You know, I, I've heard of churches in our network, some of our larger churches who are championed and rightly so because they've raised, you know, $300,000 for missions this last year. And that's great. But that's more than, you know, my church of 1200's entire operating budget for the year. And so, like, you know, so, like, what what does it look like to do this in a way that, that acknowledges that, hey, we, we don't always have the stuff we need, but how can we still support that that heart for missions? How can we show that? I think one of the things that I would, I would really encourage us all to remember is that we need to focus on what we do have rather than what we don't have. And I think that that's really a challenge sometimes. We can get into a, a I say a negative cycle where we are, we're not seeing what we do have, but I think the idea of being asset based and not materially based. And I think for me, vision is free. Vision mm. is free. What can we do? And it takes me back. And I think about that. It takes me back to the time in Deer Lodge. After our first year there, the church was just busting. We were doing kids ministries and youth and the church was just like had doubled in size during our time there in that one year with the senior pastor and, and us. And we were just seeing tremendous growth and they wanted to build a new sanctuary because they had a, an old, old sanctuary. And at the business meeting that year, they said, let's build a new sanctuary debt free in a year. And I'm like, you guys, like, that's a crazy dream. Like, sure. What are you talking about? And they said, no, I think God's calling us to do that. And I, and I looked around and said, we have a contractor, we have a plumber, we have an electrician, we have, a, we have an excavator guy in our church. We have all these people in our church, and, and I think we can do this. And they like, wrote all the plans out on, a, on, a, on the back of a napkin. I'm like thinking, these people are crazy. But they had vision. And, and then God brought along a homeless guy who happened to be a trust fund baby. And he got this, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic, but he got this trust fund money every two years. And he, he joined the church, he got saved, he got cleaned up, and he like started tithing his trust fund to the church, which like gave us the extra income we needed to like see this wow. thing become a reality. And the guy was a drywaller. So he was a drywaller. Huh. So in the, literally in the course of one year, this church was built. The church in Deer Lodge was like, built from, from ground to, to finish in a year and the whole community watched this church get built 
by wow. faith. There's no there's no bank loans, no nothing. And it was just a total God thing. But at that time, we had these resources there that God brought all the right people. And a couple of years later, the electrician moved away, the plumber moved away, different things, you know, things shifted. But in that moment, the right people were there and the right things were there. Right. And there was vision to get that done. So I think that's really cool. Um, as far as like missions itself, I think connecting yourself to missionaries and doing what you can. I mean, when we've traveled Montana, we've had great churches. You know, some of the rural churches said, hey, I know, you know, I know you don't have any more Sundays, but how about Monday night? Could you come by on Monday night? We'll do a pie social and we want to hear what you're doing. Or Tuesday, could you do something like, you know, and and we, we've come and we've done just about anything in a rural, in a rural setting just to share the missionary call to people. And we love connecting. And um, it's such a blessing for us to get emails and cards and notes from people and um, I will say, if you send us an email, don't say, we're praying for you, love Karen, because I don't know who Karen is. So <laughs> if you can remember to put your name on it, maybe say where you're from, what part of the world you're from, or what, what part of the, the country you're from, that helps us. But um, I remember traveling to one church way out in the middle of Montana, in the middle of nowhere. It felt like the middle. I mean, I knew they were far, far from a, from a Walmart, but they had built up a little closet of missionary gifts. And we went there and they said, would you please like go through our little missionary closet and pick out some things we want to bless you and my wife had a lot of wisdom at that moment she said when you were out shopping at walmart was there anything you were thinking specifically of us about when you went there and the woman said yes i was thinking of this and maybe you need this battery powered lamp or whatever and she had specifically gone driven how many hours from where she was down to the walmart and bought stuff for us thinking what thinking about us and so it was such a way to, we were blessed, but they were also blessed to be able to like give and bless us with the things that they thought we needed and we did need. And so I think like just being creative in that way and, and being willing to host missionaries on a Thursday or a Friday, you know, when you're driving across the high line, sure. it's, it's not easy, but but we get connected from people and people remember us from you know, our, our time in Montana. So um, I don't know. I think that Montanans and, and, and rural people in general you have a little bit of freedom there to be creative in how you how you have missionaries, how you host them. It's not just Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. You can do stuff in the middle of the week and also help your people to get a bigger vision for what God's doing around the world. So yeah, and honestly, uh, I, as I'm making a list of what you're saying, uh, things like doing an email, baking a pie for a pie social, opening a room in your home, you know, like like these are all yes, things that are absolutely. fully within our grasp and are really not. Yes. cost heavy you know it's not that we have to yes. put on this crazy convention and do all these things and it's not even that the the financial support is always you know it's it's not through the roof but it's like man what can we cobble together and i mean that affectionately you know what, what can we do that is just within our grasp and and i love even seeing people as resources you know saying hey i can't always afford this but who do i have and what can we offer and all those things that's that's great stuff i really love uh, simple ways that feel attainable and i and i would just say too i'm very aware that that some of our churches are only able to give $10, $15 a month to, to our budget. And yet, I'll tell you what, every time I turn on my SUV to drive somewhere, I know Montana helped me get that vehicle. Mm. And every time I'm able to, every time I look at my budget report every month, all those all those rural churches that are giving to us and supporting us, we have a huge team of people behind behind us praying for us and supporting us and i want you to know we feel it we don't take it we don't mm. take it for granted we feel it and we're proud to say we're montanan <laughs> because yeah. it's you guys are keeping us on the field man for sure yeah and and that's what i love about rural people their hearts of gold right like that's the whole that's absolutely the whole 
And it's not that yeah. anybody else isn't. It's just like, man, it seems like in the rural church, there's just such a connection there. And I, and I love that, you know, and, and rural church people, it's wild. They love, they love for a long time. I mean, I remember sitting in board meetings, you know, a deacon would bring up, well, is this person still in the field? And it may be a missionary we hadn't checked in on in a while, but they're like, well, we've been supporting them for 30 years. You know, they're probably fine. And it just was so, it was such a non-question. They're like, until we know they're dead, we're, we're sending them money. And yes. you're like, okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, but... <laughs> But uh, I do want to dive into because I, um, you know, as I've as I've gotten to witness your journey and had other friends who have worked with you, worked under you, as I've gotten to get to know you, I just so respect your leadership. I think it speaks a lot that uh, of the work you've gotten to do and the work you've gotten to do pastorally and as a missionary. But I want to dive into some of the big picture principles that you've lived out as a leader. You know, I think when we get these good nuggets of wisdom, it helps us, you know, kind of lead better as pastors. Some of the stuff that you had mentioned that I think was really great is uh, I liked conversations about, you know, being a learner or humility. And even um, to, I loved your concept of stories, like how we tell stories and who's involved in them and all those things. So why don't you, you start by just diving into some of those things? Yeah, you bet. So I think one thing that's really, really, I think if you talk to any of our people who are, who are serving with us, they would tell you that one of my big things is that leaders are learners. And that we're constantly learning. We need to keep ourselves postured in that learning mode. And so as a team, we read a lot of books together. And we discuss those books. And we talk about the realities that we're finding in those books. And some of them are cultural books. Some of those are, uh, are spiritual formation books. Some of those are, you know, biblical ministries books or whatever. But, but we're just trying to always improve ourselves and stretch ourselves. And it's good to do that with other people. So if you have another pastor in town or some other people who are also in ministry, able to, to read books together and say, what did you get out of that? What did you get out of that? And just, and kind of that iron sharpening iron thing. But books help bring out topics that maybe we wouldn't necessarily tackle ourselves, really help us to grow. And so, um, uh, yeah, we love reading books together and just uh, and growing through books. And I've said already earlier in the podcast, but asking questions, just staying curious, be a learner, ask questions about why stuff are, and then dig deeper. Maybe even say like, well, what else is involved in that? What, well, how come, you know, and just go a little bit deeper because sometimes people give us a surface answer, but the true nuggets of why something happens in a community or whatever there's, there's more to the story that we don't necessarily get to if we don't ask good questions. And I'll, I'll say in Africa, eat meals with people. I don't know. I, I'm sure that's a true thing with, with rural too, but, um, you know, drink a cup of coffee with somebody, sit down and have a lunch with somebody, talk to them and, 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 and go a little deeper with somebody uh, than just a surface conversation. And you'll, I think you can surprise yourself. Also, um, learning a new skill. You know, one of the things I tried to do when I came out was to take photography and start shooting pictures and stuff. And there's, you know, African people and the landscapes are so amazing. And so I enjoyed learning a new skill and it just makes me a better person because I'm trying something different. And I've also learned a new language. I've learned five languages, you know, and so I've, uh, that's a little bit, maybe you don't have to do that, but, but learning a <laughs> language stretches you. can try you. that and if you so, wanted to, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could. And so, but, but even learning the rural language, why, you know, people, the way they're talking and what they're talking about and, you know, if you start telling me about like, you know, the, the hay business and how hay balers work or how combines work, I have no idea. But if I was a rural pastor, I'd want to know about how combines work because that's really important to like your constituency, your people care right. about those things, you know, and so learn about those, learn about animal husbandry. Why did, you know, about horses and cows. And I think those are things that, you know, I know a pastor one time, he used to walk out in the field and help change pipe, you know, in the big irrigation pipes. And he'd yep, talk yep. to different congregants out there and he's just carrying pipe around talking about life stuff, you know, 
but um, working on those kind of things. You talked about humility. It's changing the topic a little bit, but I think humility is the foundation for so much. You know, we look at Philippians 2, Jesus, his humility was just like off the charts. You know, the yeah, Son of God passage, came to earth. Great and, passage. And uh, just uh, such a great passage. And so I think um, humility is the basis of all we do. If we're not humble people, if we're not serving well our, our, our people as pastors and as leaders, we need to be humble servant leaders. And I think I, I really love the uh, Patrick Lencioni. He's got a lot of great books out there, but one of them is The Ideal Team Player. And I think he talks about being humble, hungry, and smart. Hmm. And he's, he leads with humble and how humble is so critical that people, you need to be approachable to people. People need to see that you're a real person. And, and yet you need, you need to stay hungry. And hungry means that there's a passion for what you're doing. You, you love what you do and you're really, your passion shows through. But also the idea of being smart, like what is your wake? What, you know, you, I, and people talk about what is your wake, but it's the idea of like, if you're in a speedboat and you're just like cruising through a lake somewhere and there's another guy fishing, you know, he's in a little tiny boat. You could just drive right by him and like swamp his boat in your exuberance with your speedboat. Well, a lot of us in life are just cruising through life in our little thing. And we're like wiping people out all around us because we're not paying attention to our wake, what's sure. happening behind us. And so I think the smart thing is be, being people smart, even in a, even in a rural community, you know, like how is, how is our character? How is, how is our, uh, the way we're treating people? What's the effect of that? Are we, mm. are we leading well? Are we, are we building people up or tearing people down? I, there's a book out there called multipliers and it talks about being a, an accidental diminisher. I don't think very few people are purposely diminishing people, but there's a lot of us right. who accidentally diminish people all the time by our behavior, things that we do. And so I think that being humble, being smart, or being hungry, and then also being smart, like knowing how what's happening with the people around us is is really, really good. So, um, And then you talked about the story thing. Um, man, I tell you what, it's so easy. Our, I think our physical body, Brene Brown talks about this, but she says that our minds crave stories, but they want complete stories. And so sure. many times in a rural situation or whatever situation, a ministry situation or a relational situation, we're only dealing with half the story. We don't understand, like, why did someone do that? Well, they did it because, and it's so easy to fill in the because with past experiences or trust. Mm. And this, I'll speak to a rural, I'll, I'll use my wife for an example, because I know she won't mind. But when we were in Deer Lodge, she would sometimes have a grudge about somebody, be mad about somebody, because when I was a kid, that person always acted like that. You know, and so she was remembering stuff from like 15, 20 years before, and like applying that to today. And she mm. said, I have to give people a clean slate and say, you know what, what yeah. happened 10 years ago, five years ago, give them a clean slate. Let's deal with this issue today. And it's not like tell ourselves story because we end up like doing the, what they call injustice collecting. We say, Joe, mm. you treated me badly, man. And so sure. every time I'm just, I start just collecting these injustices against me because I've told myself a false narrative. I only have half the truth and I filled in the gaps with my own story, my own insecurities or whatever. And uh, we end up like really going relationally sideways with people unintentionally. And so I think that as much as we can uh, on our team here, I tell people, you know what? We're going to intentionally fill the gap with trust. If I don't mm. understand why something wow. happened, why why you hurt me, why, uh, why there's this weirdness between us, I don't know. But I'm going to intentionally, until I find out the answer, I'm going to fill that gap with trust to say, I trust that you love me. And, I, and at some point we're going to you know, talk about this. But in the meantime, I choose to fill that gap with trust. Wow. And so um, 
for us, that's really, really critical. And the same thing is true for the African patches we work with. You know, you talk about cross-cultural stuff and language issues. There's some really easy ways to get screwed up with people and go sideways with somebody. But I choose because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ to fill that gap with trust until I can find out more about it. And it keeps me from wow. going sideways in my relationships. So, Wow. Man, that's powerful wisdom. Even if uh, even if you just said that one thing, this whole whole podcast, fill those gaps with trust. I think we we all could have walked away wiser. Well, hey, Nate, I do want to say as a final thing here, I just want to say thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I have had a great time. It's been such a blessing to uh, be able to connect with you. And I love the idea of this podcast. And I hope it's a blessing to a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, we just want to say thanks again for tuning in. Again, it is our heart and our goal that every single week, week in and week out, you'll be getting content that doesn't just speak to where you're at, but is spoken by people who get it. We love you. We care about you. We support you. We want you to be encouraged, equipped, and informed as you seek to do God's work in a small place. Uh, For this week, I've been Joe Epley. He has been Nate Lashway, and we will see you next week. 